Hi, I'm Bill Cumby. I'm a teacher at uh, First Church Ministries, Sunday school teacher, and uh, appreciate the opportunity to be able to go through Ephesians. We were doing it with our class, and we, uh, we just got started uh, before this isolation period started. And so I'm going to go back and start at the beginning of Ephesians and talk about that. And uh, I want to thank Jose, who's behind the camera, uh, filming this and actually going to be splicing things together later when I uh, have moments like this. <laughs> he reminds me of Joseph. You don't see Joseph in the Gospels because he was taking the pictures. Uh, and uh, you don't see Jose a lot sometimes because he's behind the scenes doing this. But very excited about uh, uh, Ephesians is, is really a book for this time. It's a book about the church. Um, there is no, no more definitive and no more encouraging book on the church than you'll find in Ephesians will be. And so we're going to be looking at that, and, and basically the key verses up is up here, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 through 10. In him, Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. Let's open in prayer. Lord, we thank you that uh, you love us and care for us. We thank you that uh, you have made us part of a body, your body, the body of Christ, the church, your bride. And Lord, as we study your word, we pray that you would open our hearts and minds to love you more, to draw closer to you, and to love one another more too. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. So before I go forward, um, I, I sort of like to, and I, I tend to repeat myself, and I, I would say it's because of age, but it's not because I tend to repeat myself when I was young. Um, but it's good to have a perspective. Everybody looks at things different ways. And to help you understand what you're getting out of something, you need to really look at what their perspective is on thing, and and I come and I will come back in this this short lesson to um, to the fact that the great two commands are not commands about knowledge. They're not to know God better. Okay, they're to love God and to love our one another. And so, if you are just trying to get knowledge about it, the Book of Ephesians. Um, this time might be somewhat wasted for you. It really ultimately will be wasted because you do have to know what you love. In other words, knowledge is important. And you want to know the person you love. And you want to know how to love them better. But if you're just getting knowledge to have knowledge to manipulate somebody or do something else, you're not really going where you need to go. Okay, That's not the, the end of things. And so we studied this from a, a perspective of a letter from God helping us understand how we can love him more and how we can love one another more. So we're going to talk a little about um, Ephesus. We're going to talk about Paul. We're only going to go through the first three verses today, the, the introduction. And uh, next week we're going to talk about uh, the, uh, the Trinity, which uh, Ephesians is, has uh, the best passage about the Trinity, I think, in, in the Bible, actually, uh, uh, maybe apart from the Upper Room Discourse in John. And then we're going to um, talk a little about what does it mean to us as a church. And so, again, Ephesus was a very large city. It was the largest city in Asia. When we say Asia, the Roman Empire Asia, we're talking about mostly about modern-day Turkey. 
and it was pretty much in the middle of Turkey. You'll see that. It was uh, the pro-counselor was there. Now the pro-counselor was basically he. The pro-counselor ruled over over um, the kings and 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 in the provinces in that area. So he was he was a very important person. Um, the temple of uh, the uh, Diana was there, Artemis uh, in Greek, and it was one of the seven wonders of the world. It was a very, very important and strategic um, city. And so Paul actually passed through there on his second missionary journey. And when he did, uh, he did that with Priscilla and Aquila, left them there. They started a church on his third missionary journey. He came back there and taught for a couple of years. And we're going to go over that. But let's, let's uh, take a moment and look at who Paul was. So Paul... Um, Later, when he wrote Philippians, and Philippians is, uh, is one of the also, um, uh, prison epistles here, uh, also talked about who he was. And he says, if anyone has confidence, has a mind to put confidence in flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, which is in the law found blameless. So, he was the top of the top in, in the in the Jewish in the Jewish hierarchy. He was uh, he was trained under Gamaliel, one of the leading rabbis, the leading rabbi at the time, and one of the ones that is still remembered through history. And he was uh, probably a member of Sanhedrin. Uh, you, you had to be like about thirty years old uh, to be in the Sanhedrin. That was the minimum age. Um, and so he was probably over thirty, but he's probably still very young. And he had uh, he was an upper comer in there. Uh, until he met Christ on the road to Damascus, and we'll talk about that in a second. Um, so he, t he took three missionary journeys. I say he started more than a dozen churches. We actually don't know how many churches he started, and you think it doesn't, it's not very much. But what he started bore fruit in a way that we rarely see today. Um, it bore fruit, and it basically evangelized all of the uh, land of a uh, Turkey and modern-day Greece. Um, he authored 13 extant epistles, and extant just means we still have them. We don't know how many more he, he wrote, but those are the ones we have. And they contain the core of Christian theology. You know, most, uh, uh, probably at least half of the theology we have, um, we see in the New Testament, comes from Paul. Um, the, the Gospels and, and other writers elaborate on things, but Paul was really the synthesizer and the systematizer of a lot of our faith. And uh, he preached to governors, kings, and possibly to the Roman Empire emperor. He probably did um, his defense to him. We don't know if he evangelized him. Uh, he was released probably and later evangelized Spain, um, maybe, um, the western part of the Roman Empire. And then um, he, was also, he also suffered a lot. Um, in his third missionary journey in 2 Corinthians, he writes that um, he, uh, he's trying to defend himself. He says that he is um, five times he received the 39 lashes of the Jews. Uh, three times he was being with rods, once stoned. Three times he was shipwrecked. Day and night he spent in the open sea. Um, he endured a lot. Um, and that, that endurance changed him. We're going to see in a second. Um, there was a point of Paul where he got pushed too far. Um, and he, his dependence on Christ entered a new level. I think, and we'll talk about that just briefly uh, in a, a couple slides. So there was his early Jewish training. It was conversion about age 35. Now, the, the good thing about Paul 
is, uh, is age-wise, is he probably was very much a contemporary of Jesus. And so if it was A.D. 35, he was probably around the age of 35. So he was probably converted when he was 35. I spent three years alone in the Arabian desert, probably integrating his Jewish faith into what he knew about Christianity. Um, he was set aside for four years. Um, those of you who are, uh, are in the younger age group, from, from my standpoint, 39 to 44, um, at peak of his career time and yet set aside. No one, everyone was afraid to use him until Barnabas came down and took him to Antioch. And for five years he taught at Antioch until his gifts and skills were recognized to the extent that they sent out on uh, missionary journeys. And there were three missionary journeys over a 10-year period. And those missionary journeys were so successful that modern historians, when they've ranked the greatest people of all times, there was a fad about a decade or two ago to, uh, to not rank Jesus as number one anymore. He's always been at the top of the chart. But, uh, but they, they started rating him two and three because he had help from Paul. Um, and we know that's not, that's not true. And yet it's a tribute to who Paul was and what he did during that time and how God used him. He was imprisoned for three years before the trial to Caesar, and that's when he wrote the book of Ephesians and several other books that are, are very important in the corpus. And, um, and uh, I, I have often said that he was put in prison because God wanted him to slow down and think about things. Okay? There was a lot of time for him to be immobilized and do that. I think that's true, although, again, I think there was a time where he was pressed before he was in prison that really changed his thinking a lot, and I'll talk about that in a second. Um, he did his three missionary journeys. Again, this is down here is Judea. Egypt's over here, the Arabian Desert over here, and this is Turkey. And so when he started in Antioch, and Antioch was the sort of center for Gentile Christianity. So he started out here. He went over to Cyprus. They went up here. He was stoned here. They were mistaken for gods and stoned. And he, First they thought he was a god. Then when he wasn't a god, they decided to stone him. Uh, and then he got back up. He probably um, was crippled from that point forward to an extent. I'm, we're not sure how. But the stoning, they thought he was dead. And so he, he bore those scars. And then he came back and, uh, to Antioch. He took a second journey where he went up and encouraged the people he had evangelized originally and then went up through Asia and then went into Greece. And here he picked up Luke probably in Troas. And Luke starts with him. And so we see the book of Acts going from he did this, they did that, to we did this, we did that. And he went up through here and he landed in Corinth down here. And in Corinth he taught for about a year and a half. Uh, it was a great experience. A church in Corinth was probably um, the premier church in that area. And, um, and then he went back into uh, Ephesus and then down where he had a vow in Jerusalem. And then he, he was, um, so he was in Ephesus for two and a half uh, years. And then he was going to go to Corinth. But instead, he went up to the northern part, crossed over this way, and came down to Corinth. And that actually um, begs uh, the question of, you know, uh, why is that important? What happened during that time? So this is actually some of the dates of Paul's writings. His first missionary journey, he wrote after that, he wrote Galatians, defending the faith. And you'll see here, I sort of color-coded these. So, so these green ones, light green ones, are teaching pastoral epistles. And 
Second Corinthians is not colored. I'll come to that in a second. Theologically, Romans stands as the theological pinnacle of Paul. And then we get the pastorals later. But then we get these Christological ones. And by Christological, I mean Paul really zones in on who Christ is and what does that mean? Why is that? Romans does that to an extent, but Romans is really a theological treatise about uh, the history of mankind and God and how Christ came to save us and what it doesn't mean to be a Christian. These Christological ones really focus on a relational uh, uh, issues with us and Christ and who the church is and what does it mean to be in Christ. Um, and then we have 2 Corinthians. So 2 Corinthians is actually an epistle that um, was written after Paul went through a, a time of despair. He says he despaired of his life. He opens up with that. He talks about being overwhelmed. Uh, and the book is, is dealing a lot with um, struggling with this overwhelmingness that he felt as a believer and the crushing weight of what was going on in his life with his relationship with Christ too and the glory of that relationship, and the fact that God was using sufferings in his life. Before, before 2 Corinthians, Paul really never talked about suffering. The word suffer appears a couple times, but it has, no, it has no indication that suffering does anything or is any major part of the Christian life. Here in 2 Corinthians, we see it in full color. And then in Romans, we get that, we get that carried through in a more theological sense. Here, um, here we see suffering, particularly in, in Philippians, where, where um, we understand that suffering is part of the redemption God has for us. That suffering is in a, that us living in a fallen world, and that um, because of that, we will suffer, and that suffering can be used by God to bring others to him, but also to help us understand more of how much he loves us and what he's done for us. And so uh, we will, we, suffering is not mentioned in Ephesians, uh, and yet it's there. We will talk about it. Um, and, and I call Ephesians the book of the church because, again, no other book was written specifically for that. Ephesians was, um, and it was also written, it's interesting enough that it's also the most Christological book in, in the sense of talking about Christ more, more often in there. Uh, Colossians is sometimes talked about as being very Christological, and it is. And by that, Christological, I mean Christ-centered. Um, and trying to delve into the depths of who Christ is. Uh, but Ephesians really melts um, the fact that Christ is the head of the church and what the church is together. So the background on Ephesians. Um, church was established on Paul's second missionary journey. Uh, Priscilla and Aquila, who he met in Corinth when he started the church of Corinth, actually um, uh, went with him there, and, and then Paul went down to Jerusalem and left them there. And when he left them there, they met Apollo, uh, who, was a, uh, who was a gifted um, uh, orator from, um, from Alexandria, and he spoke a lot about Christ up to the time of John's baptism. And they instructed him more fully, and he became um, uh, a full believer, should I say. He believed up to what he knew, and then, and then they helped perfect his knowledge, it says in Act. And then uh, he actually stayed in uh, Ephesus for a while, probably was very prominent in helping start the church there, and then uh, actually went to Corinth, and we actually see in 1 Corinthians there are actually people who follow Apollos as opposed to, to uh, uh, Paul. And so, so there's this divisions coming because people are always, people want to be 
part of a winning team. And, and even when we're all one team, then they want an inner team. And so there's these divisions in there that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians. Um, but, but really, that we have no impression that Apollos, that was, that was anything he had any part of. Um, but again, a warning to us that, again, knowledge, some knowledge can hurt sometimes as much as it can help. Um, uh, Paul preached against the heathen gods. He aroused the people. He caused a riot. He endangered his life uh, when he was in Ephesus as he was preaching there in the uh, halls of Tyrannus over a couple years. And uh, after that, he actually left and went again through the rest of his missionary journey. Um, and we're not going to delve a lot into that, but it would be very helpful if you looked at Acts chapter 20 and looked at if you wanted to know more about um, Ephesus, uh, what, the church being planted there and what happened there. The miraculous uh, signs happened there. Uh, handkerchiefs that he touched were used to heal other people. Um, God worked in supernatural ways, uh, showing that he was more powerful than the demons and other spirits that were out there that were oppressing the people of Ephesus. So much so. And I, I know I'm not supposed to do that with my hands. <laughs> We're in times of isolation. But anyway, so much so that, um, that uh, they gathered up all their charms and incantations that Christians did and burned them and figured they were worth 50,000 denarii, which is equivalent of about 250 years worth of wages. 200 denarii was the wages of a worker for a year. And so, um, so they, they, this huge thing, and again, supernatural... Um, supernatural gifts and, and things done there um, that showed that God was indeed more powerful than the supernatural things. Um, and yet, it does not seem like the uh, um, Ephesians abused the gifts, the spiritual gifts they had there, as they were done as they did in Corinth. In Corinth, Paul had to rebuke them. We don't see that same thing there. It may just be because Paul was there teaching them and he didn't let them get out of control. Um, but um, again, in spiritual gifts, and we'll talk about that a bit in Ephesians a bit later on, those gifts are given to help the church. They're not meant to be suppressed, but they're meant to be controlled by, by the, uh, the spirits of the prophets are under the control of the prophets. And so, so we'll talk a little about that as we get into Ephesians 2. It was the first of seven churches in Asia um, addressed in Revelation. It was rebuked for leaving their first love, and really that's that's the section I'd really like to uh, spend a little bit of time on. So if you look at Revelation, it says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands says this, I know your deeds, your toil and perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men, and that you put to test those who call themselves apostles, but they are not. And you found them to be false, and you have perseverance and have endured for my namesake, and have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore remember from where you have fallen, and repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming to you, and will remove your lampstand out of its place, unless you repent. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now, again, this is written to the church in Ephesus. Um, it's probably written about 95 A.D., so it's about 40 years after the church was started. Um, it was written by the Apostle John, 
who was probably in Ephesus before he's exiled to Patmos. So church tradition has it that he actually was a bishop uh, in Ephesus, and he actually took Mary, the mother of Jesus, to take care of her up there. And he was up there, and that's why when he was exiled, he was exiled to Patmos. Forty years after the church was started, under the hand of Paul, who taught for two years, and the apostle John, the apostle of love, who was in Ephesus, this, this condemnation is being written that they have left their first love. It says that they know everything. They, they know, they have persevered, they have preserved the truth, they have done what they need to do, and yet they've left their first love. He does commend them again against the Nicolaitans, and we do not know who the Nicolaitans are. If someone tells you they do, they don't. I mean, we, we, we know they were a cult, we're not exactly sure what they were teaching, but, but that, 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 that commendation is more of the fact that you do love the truth. You, 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 you do stand against those who do not teach the truth. And it sort of softens the words of you have left your first love because, because those are harsh words. Harsh words that you, he might remove their lampstand out of its place. The church might be removed in Ephesus. Um, this is a warning for us. This is a warning for us that our knowledge not control us so that it makes us loveless. Because that's what happened, is they lost their love. So um, I, I, again, it's, it's important that we see this. Now that is not what's happened in the book of Ephesians, okay? But this is a, uh, a fast-forward to a warning that trying to get knowledge for knowledge's sake is, is a dead end. It will hurt us. Um, some people think that Ephesians and certainly Colossians most likely were written in response to what's called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism was a teaching, that was or proto-Gnosticism, that was uh, a start of a system there. If you knew the right things and you did the right things, you could get to heaven. But if, if, uh, if you didn't know the right things, you wouldn't get to heaven. And it wasn't as important to be good as it was to have the knowledge of what was going on. So... so um, there is that in there, and, and that, that is a warning to us too. But again, uh, not to lose our first love. Not to, read our, not to read the Bible for knowledge, but to read the Bible for knowledge of who we love better and how we can love better. Um, so this is the greeting. I mean, we, have, we have Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, I'm breaking this down this is sort of an outline form just to help me think through it and maybe to help you reflect on things. Sometimes it's good to try to tease things apart. One of the things you'll see here in the first couple verses, uh, first three verses, and I do not know where, actually first two verses. Um, I, three is, is start of the next one. So uh, first two verses um, is it's from Paul, who is an apostle of Christ. Again, brilliant, devout Jewish Pharisees who persecuted the church before he encountered Christ, uh, and while on the road to Damascus. He was going there to imprison Christians, and that's in Acts 9. You can read up on that if you'd like to. And the saints uh, to the, in Ephesus, the, the church that Paul helped start on his second journey in Acts, uh, chapter 18, taught for two and a half years there. And then we don't know exactly how long, and sometimes years were inclusive or exclusive. In other words, um, 48 to 49 AD might be two years if you count both, both those years, or it might just be one year if you're not being inclusive. So we thought there for about two and a half years, uh, and that, that there was a greeting here, and this greeting was grace and peace from God. Now, that is a, a fusion 
of the typical Roman greeting and the typical Hebrew greeting. So if you were a Jewish person, you greeted somebody, it would be shalom. If you were a Greek or Roman person, you would say charis. We say hello, hi, how are you type thing. That charis, charis was a general word. It was, the word charis, we sometimes say it means unmerited favor, goodwill, and it does. It was sort of a, a greeting of or blessing to wish well on a person. A bit amorphous, okay? Um, but the idea here was that the, the, the greeting was the greeter wished well on the person. So Paul actually took charis and infused it with uh, the meaning of, of the grace of God in there. And we get charismata, which are really the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, charisma and charismatic, charisma, singular, charismatic, plural, or gifts of Spirit, of, of, of grace, or gift of grace. And so Grace, Karis in here, you get up here, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. You will see this greeting very similar in all, almost all of Paul's epistles, but a couple things to note here. Um, Christ Jesus is mentioned in every line on this. That he sort of, he, Paul's an apostle because of Christ. Okay? The saints in Ephesus are faithful because they're in Christ. The Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That grace and peace is being mediated by him. Um, some people have, have intimated, and we're, this is not the passage on the Trinity, but that there is somewhat of a Trinitarian thing because grace is linked with charis and charismatic with the gifts of the Spirit and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We're coming to a passage where we'll actually see the Trinity there. In fact, I'm, I'm closing in on the 30 minutes that I said I'd try to keep this to. And so... So here we have this greeting um, that Paul's uh, talking about, um, uh, helping them understand who they are in Christ, and it's about Christ, and he's from Christ, and, and he's going to talk about that. And so we get into this next section, which we are not covering. I'm not going to read all this now because I've got two minutes left, but this passage, passage 3 through 14, which is the passage that talks about the Trinity. And we see that it starts out about God the Father, it goes down to Christ, and then it talks about the Holy Spirit. And it's like, well, how do you know that that's how it's broken up, Bill? Well, fortunately, Paul left us some pointers here, okay? At the very end of each section, it talks about to the praise of his glorious grace, to the praise of his glory, and to the praise of his glory. So he actually broke these down into three sections. He wanted to talk about who God the Father is and what he did, who Jesus is and what he's done, and who the Holy Spirit is and what he's done. And so we're going to talk about that next week. The other thing I want to show you is, is a keyword analysis to, to help you understand why I say this is a book about Christ. So if you look at the word Christ in, in Ephesians, it's, it's 46 times in there. It's six chapters, by the way. It's a couple hundred verses. Uh, 40, uh, a little less than about 150 verses. Uh, Christ 46 times in, in him, um, uh, 29 times when it's referring to Christ. So you, you get it about 12 times per chapter, uh, basically about every other verse. And if you look at it, this first section, it's just all about, it's all about Christ. It's all about who he is. And so this is the book we'll be studying. This is what we're going to be looking at next week. And so uh, uh, just the last slide, there's some resources here that you can uh, get to. There's the Bible Project, highly, very, very highly recommended you version, which you can listen to. The um, I would really encourage you to spend some time listening to the Bible on tape, just just relaxing and listening to that. In addition to going through here, this has good summaries of books of the Bible. 
This one here is actually you want to get a little into the Greek and, and the notes and stuff like that. Um, th that comes out of Dallas uh, Theological Seminary, the Net Bible, and it, it's very good. Uh, again, um, it's not an endorsement of 100% of everything in there, but uh, they, they are a very solid theological organization, and they've taken great care to try to, um, to put together the tools you need to study the Bible. So uh, that's it. I'm going to close this in prayer now. Lord, we uh, thank you that you love us. We thank you that you care so much for us and that you've um, uh, left a book uh, just about who you are and who we are together. And Lord, I pray that we might truly understand that. I pray that we might grow in love and that we might uh, honor you as our Lord and our King, our Savior, and um, the one we love most. We pray in your name, Jesus.